Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I am coming to you from the free state of New Hampshire, and it is hot. It is almost 100 degrees. I think it was 97 last time I looked. And it's very humid, and my allergies are acting up a little bit. The pollen is really bad. So if I look a little puffy-eyed and a little congested, that's that's why. It's because of the allergies. Um, if you're new to the show, please subscribe to the channel and also look at the links in the description and follow me everywhere that you have a platform as well. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the RSS feeds you can find. I've got links to most of them in the, in the description, but most importantly, uh, follow me on Telegram and Substack. That's where I'm putting out a lot of my work recently. I'm writing articles on Substack. And I'm trying to use Telegram as sort of a replacement for Twitter. So please uh, subscribe to me on all those channels and follow me on all those platforms. Anyway, let's get into the show. Um, as you guys might know, I got slightly canceled uh, almost two weeks ago now for going to an event that Nick Fuentes was uh, featured in. He was featured in a film and he also was attending it to give a little bit of a speech and also answer questions. So I figured I'd have the two guys on that kind of got me involved with this. So first is Jason Rank. How are you doing today, Jason? Hey, man. Good to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Good to finally have you on. So I've been talking to Jason for, I don't know, a few weeks now, uh, probably a week ahead of Freedom Fest about this whole debacle. You guys might have heard about it. And then the other guy who's involved with this is Patriot Jay. How are you doing today, Jay? What up, Reed? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. So this is really your fault because, you know, I was like, there's probably no way I can get involved in this. And then you show up at the last minute and you're like, hey, I'm going to this uh, like Fuentes event thing tonight. And I was like, oh, you're going. I have to go now. So I uh, then I called up Jason and said, hey, I'm going with someone you think you could get me into. And that's how I got in. But um. I just want to kind of break down what this thing was and what happened and what what my takeaway was from it and then what you guys think too. But uh, Jason, I'm sure most people have probably heard of this story by now. I know you went on a lot of other podcasts and you know it, it was kind of making the rounds. But just give us a brief uh, description of what happened. Like you had this film that you're going to premiere at Freedom Fest. What happened? Why didn't it end up getting premiered at Freedom Fest? And what was the alternative you had to go with? Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. And, you know, long story short, I think with this is uh, we submitted a short 21 minute version of this film. The, the film you guys screened was actually, I think, 47 because we expanded it. But the original uh, film was was about Nick Fuentes called The Most Canceled Man in America. And it was primarily about how the federal government took a half million dollars from his, his bank account, put him on a no fly list, didn't charge him with a crime. And uh you know, we submitted it to Freedom Fest. They were initially very excited about it. And then, you know, some missteps happened on their end. I, I let them know that if they were interested in Nick speaking on a Q&A or something, he, he was going to attend the screening. And we said, you know, hey, um, we'll check with Nick and see if that works. Well, they sort of jumped the gun and announced that he'd be on a panel and that the film was showing. And so as soon as that email went out, people like really lost their minds. And so they took him off the panel and then things didn't die down. And they eventually just said, no, we're not going to screen the film either. Um, and, you know, so so that's how that all sort of started. And I ended up writing a, our Substack about this situation because the initial reasoning they gave to me was that six pretty you know, major libertarian organizations or leaders of those organizations had contacted them. And that was why they decided, you know, maybe showing the film wasn't such a great idea. And so as a result of that, then Nick decided, well, I'm going to just go ahead and have a screening because, you know, in many ways, Nick feeds off of cancellation. You know, it, sure. it's, 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 it builds his brand, frankly. And so, you know, he set out to put this separate screening on in Vegas. And, uh, you know, it's funny, man, nobody else really asked me to get into it. <laughs> yeah, I, a couple of people might have, but you're you're one of the few guys that I was like, all right, well, we'll uh, we'll see if we can get read in, because I thought it'd be interesting to have your perspective on the film and, you know, for you to go there and sort of weigh in on what your thoughts on that were. So, yeah, that screening happened. It was totally off site in a very 
private location. And uh, I think there was like 140 people out at it. Many, many, many groipers. Um, and yeah. then, and then some of us who were, yeah, I told PJ, I was like, yeah, they were all yelling about this guy, Roy Pert. I don't know who he is, but they were <laughs> way into him, whoever he is. So, uh, before I throw it over to PJ, uh, just tell us like, Jason, what do you believe in? What are, are you a groiper? Are you a neo-Nazi? Are you a white supremacist? Like who is Jason rank? Like what, what is your belief system? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I would say for your audience, I would say I I don't have any positions that I can identify that I don't ultimately agree with like Dave Smith on. Like so I'm I'm really a Ron Paul libertarian philosophically, I guess. And, you know, I was involved in Ron Paul's 08 campaign. That's how I started all of this stuff. And, you know, uh, I currently have a license plate on my truck that says a Ron Paul is my license plate, you know, so it's like I pretty much love the guy. And, um, you know, um, I, I would say, you know, I'm a monthly contributor to the Mises Caucus. I've, you know, a dues paying member of the LP, even though um, I don't see the LP strategically being the best path for um, political outcomes. Uh, so, you know, so I'm not, you know, I'm not an America first groiper guy. Uh, but when I started making a film on the Stop the Steal movement and ended up making, you know, I was filming on January 6th, a lot of other projects. We've got a couple other projects in the hopper. You know, I was I spent like 10 weeks pretty deep in like the MAGA culture, cross paths with Nick, you know, Ali Alexander, you know, all of these other other people. And I, what I would say is I, I really developed a lot of empathy for MAGA during that time and frankly for like um you know America first and the Groypers like um you know I, I have I have mutual respect for Nick like I think he's got a lot of courage and um I think he's a really interesting subject for a film like I think what what's happening what he's doing um how he's been attacked and what what he's building on the right I think is is interesting and so that's what I would say so I you know um is actually my filmmaking partner and the director of the film, Paul Eskendone, who, you know, Paul's much more on the right than I am, frankly, like he's much more aligned, I would say, with America first. Paul's never really been a libertarian. And so we have this um, relationship. He really headed up the film and uh, I weighed in on it. Um, I stand behind it. But um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's I think it's more about um, me having empathy for what's happening, what people are thinking, what's motivating people on like the MAGA right. Um, and that's that's sort of at the center of the three different films I'm working on right now. All right. So since you're not an America for, uh, first Groyper, I'll throw it over to the America first Groyper. So uh, Patriot J, just tell us, uh, I, I've, I've been following you on Twitter for, I don't know, two years when I had Twitter and I interacted with you a lot. You're fucking hilarious. You put out some great music and shit, but Politically, where do you come from? How did you gain popularity? What What's your story? Um, well, I'm black and I'm 25 years old, so I was born a Democrat. It takes a lot of, uh, I guess, training and conditioning to get out of that mindset. So I went to college. I learned how to think. I took critical thinking. I examined every side of the political aisle, and I found that my interests were more aligned with uh conservatives and so 2015 was kind of when i made this change and that's the start of like the 2016 campaign cycle so i decided to check out the right i went to like a ben carson rally and then trump came around and i was immediately drawn to trump because he's got that kind of like brash in your face anti-establishment personality so i really respected that I cast my first vote for Donald Trump and I've been like a a hard right extremist I guess since 2016. Nice. I'm trying to imagine like going from a Ben Carson rally to a Trump rally like you're like sedated falling asleep in the first one and then the next one's just like whoa what the fuck yeah. this is awesome. Yeah, dude, it, you could totally tell the energy like the Ben Carson stuff was more like traditional um old school republican like Everybody there was probably a father of four and a grandparent of two. I'm like the youngest guy in the crowd. And then I think the first time I heard Trump speak, he was already president. It was at like one of the CPACs, I think, in 2018. But that blew my mind. Like just to be in that room with him and listening to him speak, you can totally feel the energy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not even sure 
the term rally is appropriate for a Ben Carson rally. Like I'd call it like a Ben Carson congregation or something like that. I think I'd use like a different, I mean, I've never been to one, but <laughs> yeah. But um, so in 2021, after the uh, 2020 election, were you in Washington DC on January 6th and all that or? What yeah, that? so that? Um, I, I went to DC like November 2020 for the first Stop the Steal rally. And then I went back for Jan 6. I went to listen to Trump speak. And thankfully, I was really hungry after Trump spoke. So I got lunch. And then while I'm getting lunch, I'm just watching on the TV all the madness that happened at the Capitol. It was probably the most consequential lunch of my entire life, I would say. (laughs) If I was not hungry, I would have been down there at that Capitol and Lord knows where I would have been. That's funny. Yeah. You were wearing a shirt that said uh, tummy ache survivor when we took a picture with Nick. So yeah. your stomach saved you, man. You could be in solitary <laughs> confinement right now. <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah. Jason, were you uh, at the Capitol on January 6th, too? Yeah, yeah. You know, I um, you know, I, I actually didn't go to the first Stop the Steal thing in D.C., um, I ended up cutting a little video together of it, though, and tagged Ali on Twitter. I didn't know Ali. And he messaged me and I was like, hey, man, uh, what if uh, me and another guy just kind of follow you guys around? And he's like, all right, well, let's meet up. And he wanted to make sure I wasn't, you know, just looking to do a hit piece. But then so we met him up in Georgia shortly after that first um, D.C. event. And then I spent the next like, I don't know, eight or 10 weeks, really me and me and Paul all over the country with different Stop the Steal events. So that naturally led us up to to Jan 6. I mean, you know, we were really behind the scenes with uh, Ali and a lot of the planning and stuff when that was happening. And um, that's going to get clipped out of context. Like, yeah, we were there on January 6th, but, you know, behind the scenes with all the planning. And (laughs) yeah, well, you know, all of the uh, I've gotten all of the emails from all of the three letter organizations at this point looking for our footage. So, you know, uh, but yeah, but but it's funny. It's like um, we. I was actually at the Trump rally and left early um, because we there was a permitted stage on this on the side of the Capitol for stop the steel speakers to speak at. And so I had a video guy setting up over there. So I left the speech early to walk across there to check on how things were going and everything. So what's interesting is when I got to, you know, the reflecting pool side of the Capitol, I was right there when the first breach happened of those barricades. Right. And. I remember looking up at the hill and there was like in my recollection, there was like three or four Capitol police standing on that grassy hill. And I saw this happening. I looked behind me and there's like waves of thousands of people coming over. And I was like, yeah, this is going to get out of hand pretty fast. And so the documentary filmmaker and me wanted to go up there, wanted to go, you know, and uh, the, the guy with some wisdom of years and with a family and recognizing how the narrative was going to get spun from the beginning. I was like, no, I'm staying out of there. So I didn't go in. Uh, fortunately. So again, you know, I'm sort of in your camp, Patriot J it's like, if I hadn't had that moment of clarity, I could be in a lot more trouble right now. Yeah. Um, so let's just get into the, the screening event. So, uh, you actually came and picked both of us up because, we had to go to an undisclosed location. You didn't even know where it was initially, right? They had to find somewhere and then they told you where it was. Yeah, you know, and 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 you it'd be interesting for people to know that. So they had secured three different locations uh, and the first one got canceled like a week out from the event. And so they went to like a backup and then they had a backup of a backup. And because that's sort of the nature of things with anything Nick does, right? It's like they have to mitigate. They have to have a great secrecy around anything they're doing because people will then find out where it is. They'll call the establishment. The establishment will kick them out. So, sure. yeah, so it um, they ended up paying for two different venues that night and only used one. Um, and uh, and so it was at that theater that we were at. So, yeah, I didn't even know to like 30 minutes before the event actually where it was at. Um, and that's kind of how it's, it's tended to be with things with them. So yeah, we went and we went and Ubered over there together and, uh, um, you know, and also, you know, like I've built a lot of goodwill with, with Nick over this time. And so I didn't want to like, 
I wanted to make sure I wasn't bringing in anybody who's just going to like, you know, I knew you wouldn't do that. I didn't, didn't know you Patriot Jay, but I was like, all right. So you guys got the blessing to come in, uh, from, uh, you know, Beardson and Nick. So yeah, yeah. So we arrived there and, um, you know, I think, um, I, I think what's interesting to also know is that, you know, we were going to screen it at Freedom Fest and have a Q&A with Nick in what would have been maybe a more hostile environment where people could have asked things about him or the film right. and challenged <laughs> him. Instead, he ends up having an event that generated a lot of money for his organization, by the way. Um, what and, censorship does, people don't understand. Like if you, yeah. <laughs> they just yeah. don't get it. <laughs> and, and then it's a Q&A of all of his fans, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And so... It's a totally different dynamic, right? Than it than it could have been, and I and I think that's another thing that I think was lost in all of this was, you know, you've really in in a way I think Freedom Fest generated like tens of thousands of dollars for the America First Foundation and a like epic event, and Nick comes out feeling like victorious about it, and and I think he should. I mean, I think it it it's a testimony to what he can actually pull off when he's able to pull off a screening like that sort of last minute and get a bunch of people to come out to Vegas for it. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So then we did some Q and a afterwards and, and, uh, I don't know how that occurred for you guys. I think I said a lot of things from there that I think were generally like encapsulated my, what I think and why I pursued the film and why I thought it was important, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought about the screening overall, the film and, and the event itself. Uh, you know. Yeah. So, uh, Patriot J, how what's your history with Nick and how did you find out about this event to begin with? I started following Nick, I want to say maybe spring of 2020. I think I had I had like followed him on Twitter and then we met at a CPAC slash AFPAC after party in 2020. And when we met, I decided to check him out a little more. So this was like right at the beginning of COVID. So he was doing a lot of uh, like zoom calls with these TikToks, and he would just go in like a 60 person zoom and basically school everybody and mm -hmm. i was really impressed with the way he kind of debated and just spoke so i started following him a bit more after that and then um i think we met again at one of the stop the steal events and then i saw him again at the screening gotcha so <clears throat> uh just from my perspective i didn't I don't really know a ton about Nick. I mean, I, I just watched his episode with Alex Stein, which was very eye-opening, very good. I'd recommend everyone go check that out. It's on Conspiracy Castle. But the only the only like video or speeches I've seen of Nick's were when he was debating Dave Smith or Ryan Dawson, and then like a few isolated clips of him that I'd seen taken out of context. And then I'd heard him talk about some things about immigration and some some general policies I disagree with them on. But as far as like the controversial stuff, like I hadn't ever like really done a ton of research into what he thinks. Cause frankly, never really cared. Like I, I, I it's always amazed me how fanatic his haters and support base are for seemingly comparatively to the outrage uncontroversial statements, I guess like that, that's always been my kind of opinion of him. But when we showed up, uh, you know, for a neo-Nazi or white nationalist event, a lot of people were very happy to see uh, you, Patriot Shea, like you were greeted with tons of handshakes and hugs and high fives. And you obviously knew a lot of people in the crowd. It was very friendly. And then, you know, no one was rude to us at all. I remember even after the event, uh, I, you know, I, I got a picture with uh, Patriot J and Nick and I shook Nick's hand. I just told him, hey, I'm a libertarian. I'm impressed with some of what you say because I didn't feel the need to debate him there. But, you know, some of what he said in the film, I agreed with about the establishment screwing us over. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I think he has uh, valid anger about. You know, I, I don't agree with some of his solutions that I've heard, but I agree with a lot of his contention. So, you know, and I told him I was a libertarian, wasn't upset at me, wasn't upset at you. Uh, and so I don't know. I came away with it interested. I was like, I want to find out more about this guy, maybe talk to him eventually sometime. And, you know, I, I feel like the the image that I am supposed to have of him is incomplete or incorrect. That was that was how I came away from the event feeling about 
Nick, but uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Is that a, is that a, is that something you hear a lot when people like actually start watching some of his stuff or meet him in person? Is there a lot of surprise or? Yeah. And you know, I think I'll, I'll second the Alex Stein interview because I think Nick comes across in that, in the way that I've experienced him a lot. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting to note, I think that Alex had his like, speaking tour with uh charlie kirk's organization like freaking canceled after that and um and, and again another example of people not quite knowing what they're stepping into with nick right. and and again if you, if you see that interview or even if you see our film i think like the conclusion that i came to is i was like look this is one of the more interesting people out there in the political landscape and interesting doesn't mean like full endorsement i mean like right. how how uninteresting that would be anyway it's like so i have a very very much uh, uh the same experience like i actually sat next to nick at a, at a dinner prior to the screening and i ended up talking to him longer than i have ever um it, you know other than in an interview situation and you know another thing is like he's built this video streaming platform from scratch that he's using now and like it's actually very advanced it's quite a bit of technology and there he's he's it's costing him to run that like a tenth of what it costs normal streaming to do it because i couldn't see how he's running this thing and spending that money on it so he told me a little bit about that and you know it's like so he's just a guy that i think people shouldn't underestimate him and i think uh pushing him aside into the margins isn't really helping the discussion and uh you know i think the other thing is is, is when he goes on to in, to be interviewed or debated by people who have other audiences, I think the the opportunity there that can happen is like with Dave Smith. It's like, well, people in Dave Smith's audience will watch it and they'll be exposed to Nick and they'll see Dave like, you know, challenge Nick on things. But also Nick's following will go watch him on Dave Smith. And it's yeah. like they may be exposed to ideas. Um, you know, Nick has said he would vote for Dave Smith for president. It, if Trump wasn't running, he's like, I'll vote Trump. But he's like, I'll, I'll vote for Dave Smith. He has mutual <laughs> respect for Dave Smith. Um, uh, and I think that's the that's the key is like, can we generate a mutual respect where we can have conversation and we can engage with the ideas openly? Because I think we all benefit from that. So, yeah. So as far as an incomplete picture, the biggest criticism we had on the film was that we didn't put enough negative stuff about Nick in it. And, you know, our this is also from people who never watched the film, right? They just saw the trailer. Most yeah, of them. yeah, yeah. The people. Yeah. And some people who watched the film came to that conclusion, too. They're like, you needed to say way more about how he's a villain and terrible and evil. And I was like, can we just show something that's like really Nick and the Groypers in their own words about how they see themselves and what they're making and what they're building? I'm like, I think that's useful. Um, and it's a, it's a way to make a film. It's not the way. People can challenge us on whether it's good or we could have done it better, whatever. Make your own film. But, you know, that's that's the way we saw it. Yeah. So, well, actually, why don't you answer that, too? Uh, is that kind of do you get that reaction a lot? Did did you ever have that reaction to him, Patriot J? Or were you like always aware that he was kind of overblown as far as the attacks go? Um, so I think uh, it's kind of different because I'm kind of in the same camp as you where like I met him first and then I wanted to do a, a little bit of a more deep dive into what he believes and what he talks about. But I think when you when you kind of meet him, you realize that he's just another human being, you know, and he's not this evil character that people on Twitter portray him as he's uh, he's I, I like him because I think he's only one year younger than me. Like there are there are not many young people who have the power to gravitate uh, a movement as large as he has. Like he's really galvanized uh, young American voters. And I think that should be really respected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So to be honest, I told both of you guys this, this, the vibes I got was very similar to like a youth group or something where <laughs> it seemed to me like I was in a group with a bunch of gay men who were uncomfortable with their sexuality and you know just like worshiping this uh young live streamer that was the most critical uh you know a takeaway that i had was like these guys aren't nazis they're not even racist it doesn't seem it seems like if anything 
they're kind of put off by a lot of degeneracy and they're just kind of stuffing everything and like having this really like straight laced approach to life or whatever. It just reminded me of growing up in church. Basically, that was kind of my takeaway. I don't know if that's unfair or what you guys think about that. But the racist community is so welcoming. And as long as you're racist, they don't care what color you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, man, like I think the question comes down to like, you know, was the event cool, (laughs) you know, like or whatever. And, um, you know, like uh, I won't go so far as to phrase it the way that you would. But I I will say that, you know, people might be interested to like I experienced this when I was at AFPAC because we were filming there, which is his like CPAC thing. And there was like 1200 dudes there. I mean, mostly dudes um, and like multiple times breaking out, chanting Christ is king in the middle of that thing. And I've never been to a church before where that has happened. You know, it's like that many people are like doing that. And so he's definitely blending like his Catholic faith the way it occurs for him, by the way, you know, Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the men coming into the movement, I think, are are a product of our society and environment they're looking for certain things i think they're finding some anchoring in that faith even though there's other people that are totally not christian who are there and then they're they're finding a place that's welcoming to them not only online but in real life um and it's a place also where you know nick spends a lot of time joking around and he you know a lot of these guys are like meme lords and it's like there's a there's a there's a comedy there's a, a politically incorrect comedy attraction that many of these people have to Nick because they're growing up in a society where like comedy has been destroyed. You know, it's like uh, it, it, you can't find off color, you know, politically incorrect comedy anywhere anymore. And uh, you know, Nick really is funny. Like he, he has a great sense of humor. And again, he's a, he's a, he's a good orator. He organizes his ideas really well. And he's very intelligent, you know, so he's got a lot of things that, that he brings to the equation. And so when he comes to the event, you know, he gives a speech, you know, people are asking questions. A lot of those people have never been in the same room with Nick before, you know, and so they're super excited about it. And, uh, but yeah, I, I I think the youth group, uh, the analogy is not, not too far off the mark there. (laughs) I don't know if you got any comments, PJ could throw them in. No, I think Jason just summed that up perfectly, honestly, because uh, everything that he was saying, like I, I, I was drawn to him because he's funny. Um, and there's just not like a place in today's society for straight Christian men as uh, as sad as that is, you know. So when you have somebody who's willing to stand up for it, it's it's only natural that people will gravitate towards it. And because it's so polarizing, they want to grab hold of it even tighter. Yeah. Yeah, what you know, you brought up an interesting point earlier, Jason, about how if this had been allowed to take place at Freedom Fest, it would have probably been overwhelmingly critical. A bunch of people who disagree with Nick on a whole litany of issues would have been in the room with him. Instead, it turned into kind of this love fest for him, like this, you know, this it, it was almost like he was on an altar because he's there with all his fans. It's less like that's the only people who were allowed to go and they felt empowered because they weren't allowed at this main stream event. And this is something I try to tell people. This is just a natural recourse to censorship, deplatforming. I've said, you know, whether or not you have legitimate ideas, if you are censored, you are legitimized regardless of how good or bad your ideas are. So if they're true ideas that you're just not allowed to touch because they're afraid you're going to uncover something, you're legitimized. And if you just have straight up bad ideas, but you're not allowed to talk about them, you instantly legitimize them. So this was just a, a case in point, proof in the pudding example of that actually happening. Um, I don't know, any comments from either of you on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's important to recognize. Like, um, uh, there's just a real blowback in all of this that um, that cancellation generates. And, you know, people have accused me too of like, like this was a big marketing tactic because that's why I blew up the whole thing between me and Freedom Fest and whatever. And like, number one, I'm not like I'm not that good to to have, 
you know, written this script. I mean, because, you know, I ended up getting uh, banned from the Mirage and the Venetian as a result, at, like as sort of cascading effects of being involved in Nick's film. And it's like, dude, that's not fun. And, you know, I don't have a Twitter account and all that stuff sucks. And at the same time, like I have leaned into the fact that all three films I'm working on right now have gotten me canceled from different pl places. They're all counter narrative. And uh, like I've started leaning in and building a brand around that. And it's and it's it's working, <laughs> you know, and it's like for for better or worse. And the other thing is, is that it also generates a real freedom. So what I've really started to embrace is like, I don't really have to apologize to anybody about anything. I mean, I really love a lot of the people involved in Freedom Fest. I have a lot of friends there. I've been going for like 10 years. And at the, but at the end of the day, I don't I don't need anybody to like me like and I'm not getting money from anybody there and I'm not trying to build my little libertarian personal brand and got to make sure I get on all these things like that's not a concern for me. And because I'm canceled off a lot of places and I'm speaking also for how it occurs for Nick, I know is that once you, once they remove you, it's like they have very little power over you. And so it's like, all I got to do is find my little corner of the internet, find the people who stand with me on what I'm about. And the next thing I know, I'm like, man, I feel really free now. I'm not even measuring my words. I could say what I think. Um, I'm not worried about losing another channel. Um, so that's the other, the other thing I think is interesting is it actually kind of frees up the person once they get to the other side of it. They're like, yeah, it's actually it's actually not too bad over here. Yeah. That's yeah so true. Go ahead. Um, I like being canceled. You know, I I've just in my like, I don't know, past two years of growing on Twitter. Um, I used to do music. Uh, I, well, I've always done music, but I wasn't always Patriot J before I was J Hots and I was more local. I really wanted my local hometown people to rock with me. But unfortunately, there are a bunch of libs who just couldn't get over the fact that I like Donald Trump. So um, I got canceled in my own hometown. Uh, in fact, like a, a girl who I used to hang out with frequently, we share a birthday. We would party together on our birthday every year. She sent an email to my school and the California bar before I was admitted, trying to get me kicked out and prevented me from getting barred. All because I made a post about Black Lives Matter. Mind you, I'm a black man. So um, I just thought that was hilarious. And once that happened, I realized like, oh, you know, I'm never really going to appease these people. I might as well make music that truly uh, that that like I truly resonate with on an on a deep vibrational level. And if I put that out there, the people who like it are going to come to me and they're going to support me. And I shouldn't I should worry less about these people who are just born to be haters. Yeah. And I, I want to make one statement about that, too, man, because like, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, wrote that article uh, at, at Freedom Fest, you know, <laughs> Congratulations, Reed, for making Thank the you. list. I, I've good. been on there for a little while, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's it's good to have you. Are you on there, Patriot J, or have they not? Oh, I, I got to go harder, man. Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely the most racist out of the three of us, too. So yeah. I need SPLC. I need ADL. Give me all of that. <laughs> Maybe uh, Let me see if I can just forward that photo of you with Nick over to them, dude. I think that'll do it. Just cut right. me out of it and just show him. <laughs> well, I, but what I think that article proves is that it doesn't matter. They are going to do anything oh, they yeah. can to do six degrees to white nationalists, you know? And it's like, it's like, because they bring up the whole Nick being on a panel after he got canceled. So it's like, it didn't even matter that they quote unquote did the right thing. According to the SPLC It's like, no, they still attach everybody to him. And then it's like, well, if Nick didn't exist, they'd attach you to Ryan Dawson or it's whatever. And it's like, and right. they're and they're taking Andrew Yang and and yeah. you know, it's just like it's this whole thing where it's like guys don't bend the knee reject the premise like reject yeah. the premise. Ryan Dawson denied that he's a Holocaust denier to me on my show, and Andrew Yang was also speaking at a place where I wasn't even speaking, but I just had a table. <laughs> So that makes him a white national or something. I was just like, what the fuck is this article? <laughs> it was it was incredible. Um, yeah, do you do you guys find that this actually this type of shit? I feel like it actually fuels more racism than letting. If someone is a racist, I feel like the best way to defuse it is actually to let them get up and speak, because once you start asking, like, okay, what are you willing to do to create your ethno state, or what are you willing to do 
to remove these people you don't like from your community or whatever, then they start having to say some pretty whack shit where people will be like, what? Okay, never mind. I, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. But they don't have to do that now because they can just hide behind the facade of I'm not allowed to say what I want to say. And because of that, you know, that means what I have to say is valid, blah, 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 whatever. Where if you actually let them stand in the limelight for a second, people would be like, what the fuck? Like, no. But I don't know, that's just my opinion, at least. I think you made a good point. It is so easier to say, well, look, they, they silenced me, so I have to be right, as opposed to going into a public forum and backing up your ideas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and I think the, the other thing, too, is that, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on somebody that I met that like I had a lengthy conversation with who is like somebody who would say, yes, I'm a white supremacist. Okay, right. like, and what occurs to me is that most of the people that are being given that label, I mean, hell, Tucker Carlson's given that label now, right? You know, so it's like, yeah. it's like, it occurs to me that if somebody really was, they would stand proudly in it, right? They would be like, yeah, I'm a white supremacist, dude, and I don't apologize for it. And so that's the other reason why with like Nick, it's like, look, I do take him at his word a bit. He, he calls himself a Christian nationalist. He's a nationalist. Like he talks about issues around race that other people don't talk about or whatever. So he may talk about crime or whatever. And it's like, you know, great to have the conversation. Talk, let's talk about it. He talks about immigration, you know, and it's like he doesn't want any immigration happening right now. And it's really? like, you know, he's not a libertarian, doesn't claim to be one. So right. but but, you know, I just to a certain degree, I just take Nick at his word from a standpoint of like who what he says he believes he talks like two or three hours a night, five nights a week. Uh, and he's been doing it for years. So it's like there's plenty of material out there. Um, and, and, and that was the other thing, too, is we felt like a lot of people had dedicated a lot of, you know, ink and video and audio to all of the worst, you know, worst things that Nick's ever said. But there hadn't been much committed to sort of this other side of things. And that's where we thought there was something interesting because everything else is just sort of rehashing his cookie joke or whatever. Um, and, you know, so um, and I do think it is interesting. We have a lot of demand to see the film. We're going to be releasing it here in the next couple of weeks um, online um, in a way that people can get that. Yeah, I have <clears throat> one experience where we did run into like a legit white nationalist neo-Nazi. And it was in Washington, D.C., uh, back in March, Ryan Dawson was premiering a film about Israel stealing the nuclear bombs. And so a bunch of his fans showed up. And this one guy was a Ryan Dawson fan, but he was like a legit fucking Nazi. Like he was talking about how, like, look, I don't want to have to, you know, actually put them in camps. But if they won't leave, like we got it. And it right. Was, and he was not welcomed into the fold. There was this one point where we were sitting around a table and he started spouting off about Ahmed Arbery down in, I think that was in Georgia, where the guys chased him down and shot him with a shotgun. And he's like, yeah, that boy got what he needed coming to him or whatever. And Ryan actually snapped at him. It was like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, you know, he walked through a construction site and you think he deserved a death sentence for that. So, right. like, the people who are cast as white supremacists or whatever, when when they when you actually meet a real white supremacist it's shocking they don't hide it at all they're not ashamed of it and it's like whoa holy fuck dude and he was the only guy that i could remember uh meeting in person i've come across them online and i don't know if they're being more serious on you know more more uh edgy online than they would in real life but even online when you run into them you know like they get angry that i have dave smith or spike cohen on my show like what right. are you doing having this right member of the tribe on you you know like <laughs> you know like there's no fucking gray line it's like holy shit this guy does not like black people or jews or whatever it, uh, patriot j if you like run into people where you're like holy shit this is obviously a racist you know and it kind of at least with me like pisses me off when everybody's a racist because then when you run into like legit actual staunch racists, right. You know, it's lost its potency as a word. And it's like, what do I call this now? Like, this is fucking bad. But so in my like six or seven years or so on the right, 
being politically active, traveling across the country, going to all these events. I have yet to run into a single white nationalist that Democrats say are so prevalent at every Trump rally or every right. Republican get together, which um, it 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 surprised me at first when I was coming from the left because I had this notion in my head that everybody on the right was so evil and racist. But they genuinely welcomed me with open arms. They might point and be like, oh, my God, black guy, how'd you get here? And like ask me something. But it's more out of like love. You know, they want to just genuinely know like how how I left the Democrat plantation, if you will. Um, but the people who have been the worst to me are white liberals. And dare I say it, Dems are the real racist. I, I genuinely think that like the girl who tried to cancel me I talked about earlier or every other white person who comes up to me and calls me a name because I think a different way, I don't think that they would do that if I was white because... I don't know. Maybe it's more it's I guess it's more accepted for white people to be conservatives so they don't see it as this like affront on them and their control over people who are supposed to be liberals. I just I, I have a hard time believing that like these white people would go so hard and call out their white conservative friends like they do to me, a black conservative. Yeah, I mean, I've <clears throat> I've found that the most anti-racist people are the most obviously racist people that still exist unless we're i mean when you're talking about like the real white nationalists that you run into if you just change the pronouns or change the adjectives you could <laughs> you could you know the verbs would stay the same like it's all uh you know you need to stick with your kind i don't want to be you know, associated with these people. And if you touch these people, right. and you're, you know, like the, what Jason was talking about with the six degrees to white nationalism, that's how Nazis think too, six degrees to Jewishness or whatever. Right. Kind of <laughs> fucking thing. So it's just ridiculous that these super anti-racist people, they adopt the framework of Nazis and white nationalists. Yeah. It, that's quite, that's an interesting observation there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that um, what one other thing that is interesting is I do think that, you know, Nick is getting I think he's moving into a phase where more and more people are having him on. Elijah Schaefer had him on, you know, Alex Stein. Yeah. Alex is experiencing blowback on that. You know, you experiencing some blowback on that. But like, I just think it is starting to lose some power. Um, I could be wrong about that, but it just seems that way. And I also just think and, and this, this isn't about Nick, right? Like for me, the story of Nick, I see myself as downstream from Nick, right? Like I'm not that far from the federal government seizing my bank account, putting me on no fly list. I mean, like they're trying to get my footage from the Stop the Steal movement, you know, for to prosecute people with. And it's like and I've been deplatformed on a number of places. So. I look at what's happening to Nick and for me, I'm not like, oh yeah, that's some remote possibility that might happen to me. I'm like, no, this is like, I'm actively trying to figure out where I got to put my money so that I can't lose it all in one fell swoop, you know? And so for me, that's why I feel like I have to defend him is because if I don't stand up for what's going on with Nick, like when it happens to me, it's like, who, who am I to complain? And so at the same time, I do think, that no matter who the person is, it doesn't have to be Nick. There's other, you know, it's Ryan Dawson, whoever it is, it's controversial, um, whatever. Like, I think it, it, I think people should be courageous and bring them on their platforms and like engage them in conversation and like open up the dialogue. And I know not everybody wants to risk their platforms for that kind of stuff, but um, I think it's important and the more people do it, the less power this all has and the more we can start all talking to each other and really sharpening each other's ideas. So <clears throat> we just got condemned by somebody again, but uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> right now, uh, let's see. Your your girlfriend stood stood up for us, Archie. You're a useless garden gnome masquerading as someone who cares about liberty, being retweeted by fake and dishonest SPLC journalists such as Creed Newton should be a wake up call for you, respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, there's the picture. That's the one that's generated so much controversy. Um, Dude, but, even I'm smart enough not to get a photo with Nick. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, I actually want to get Nick on the show and challenge him on some stuff. But 
my thing is like, you know, he, he has said like some controversial things about Jewish people controlling the government or whatever. And I want to push him on like, dude, if that's really what you believe, how can you like Donald Trump? Like, I'm going to come from a different angle. I'm going to be like, you know, pushing him from an angle I don't think too many people have. So, right. Uh, Nick, if you see this, I want you on the show. I've got real questions. We might have to put it on Odyssey because we'll be pushing the limits of acceptable discussion. But I've got legit questions for you. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it, you know, the, the, the most important part about your film is that everybody should be concerned that they can do what they're doing to Nick to anybody. And I think it's obvious that they're not doing to Nick what they're doing because of the edgy things he's said. It's because he's, you know, he's picking away at certain things that they don't want him to pick away at. Um, so like they don't care about racism or Islamophobia or any of that shit because they murder millions of <laughs> Muslims every year. And, you know, they were pushing racist shit back in the early 2000s to try to get us to want to go to war. So there's no way they actually care about any of this PC shit that they claim. It's just the ammunition they can use and what they can hide behind. Like. They say they don't like the idea of nationalism based on race, but the people who hate him the most are Zionists. So like that in its own is like, <laughs> you right. can't really have any feet to stand on if that's where you're coming from at a point of criticism against him. But um, I don't know, like it's, it's just so obvious that this is coming for anyone who is a dissenter. They could kick you off airplane flights. They can deplat you for, they can deplatform you from everything and that should scare all of us. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I got into a number of conversations with people around this film when, you know, Freedom Fest refused to shoot it, uh, to show it and all this. And, you know, a lot of it had to do with. So I was making a case that I was like, hey, people were mad that we generated sympathy towards Nick. And I'm like, well, I think he deserves some sympathy because of what happened, you know, what the federal government did to him. And the one of the reasons this we haven't talked about this very much, but, you know, one of the reasons that they, that he believes and other people have speculated that the government seized money from his bank account was because he had received like a $400,000 Bitcoin donation from this guy in France who then killed himself. He gave some Bitcoin to a number of people on the right, then he killed himself. And so Nick is given all of this Bitcoin. And so then the amount that they seized, theoretically, somebody postulated this, that it was worth what they seized in cash from his bank account right so like the other thing that it highlights for me is it's like you know people have talked about bitcoin and crypto being sort of that thing that's like unconfiscatable or whatever and it's like no no understand this they trace a a, a donation they call jan six a terrorist event therefore they say that donation funded your activities in organizing a terrorist event therefore we seize cash from your bank account that's equivalent to that donation I mean, dude, that's a series of of events that I think should give anybody pause to be like, well, wait a minute, how protected am I from this? Yeah. And do I hold any ideas that are like anti-establishment counter narrative? OK, so, yeah. Yeah, we still have <clears throat> such a 20th century view of gulags and being ostracized and you know, jackbooted thugs coming to your door and kicking it down and <clears throat> pulling you away in chains. That's not how they deperson you anymore. They disable your bank accounts. They kick you off social media. They make sure you're not allowed to show up at events anymore. That's how they do it. And yeah. if they can do it to Nick, they can do it to you just as easily. Uh, you got any thoughts on that, Patriot J? No, I don't. All right. <laughs> um, what do you think is the scariest about... January 6th and the way that the America first movement is being treated. Like, what do you think is the biggest misconception people have and what are the ramifications of that? You want to take that first Patriot J? Yeah, I think um, the scariest part is that the media can have this narrative and if they just repeat it over and over again, so many people will buy into it. There are, there are people I genuinely know who think, January 6th was worse than 9-11 or it was the darkest day for democracy. And that's only because they're being spoon fed this by every corporate media. Um, 
that's that's alarming. Two, I I think given the fact that we had the BLM summer and then this, like it's it's completely different because the BLM summer they were destroying private property, they were burning, they were looting, just about anything. And then here you have these people on the right who I honestly respected them because they took their grievances straight to the government. They right. weren't like oh, I'm going to burn down my own city to protest. They said no, we're going to show up, and it. it it felt in the moment, it felt like very almost founding fatherly, you know, and then the events and details come out later and it shows that uh, it looks like people were just let in all mm -hmm. of this. But it, at the time, you know, it, it genuinely felt it felt right. So, yeah, Jason, um, did it feel artificial to you, this storming of the building? Was that did it feel like it was spurred on from what you saw or could you not really tell? Well, I just think that, you know, number one, depending on where you were at around the Capitol, your perspective on what was going on was totally different. Right. So like on the side where a lot of the conflict and activity was happening was one side of the Capitol. There was other parts of it where I, I, I joked. I was like, this was the insurrection scripted by like National Lampoon's Animal House or whatever, because it was like people are like just hanging off the balcony, flying these big, you know, flags you know looking a little bit larpy and what they're up to you know and so i like i didn't know any of the real like violence and conflict between the police and the protesters was even really happening while i was even there that's just how different it was um and so um you know i wasn't i didn't see anything scary that that whole day um you know i did believe that there was likely infiltration of some sort in the different organizations. I mean, mo most of us already knew that with um, the Proud Boys, like, um, you know, Tario is, you know, had had previous contact with federal agents is, I believe is pretty well known. And so it's like, and anytime you get a group that big together, I, I mean, it can be a lot smaller. You got to assume that there's federal agents or informants inside any movement that poses any kind of a threat to the ruling class, the political class, whatever it is on the left or the, or the right or libertarian. Um, but I but that being said, you know, I do think and this goes back to the empathy thing. Like if you put yourself in the shoes of people who are totally convinced that the election was stolen, um, which wouldn't be true of any of us here. Uh, YouTube, we know that it, yeah. Joe Biden got 81 million votes. Most secure election ever. Yes, very, very legitimate. Yeah. But but if you were a person who believed that, like you've just experienced a couple of months where you see that you've had no venue to, you know, get any court hearings, any lawsuits, any anything like a, be, having your grievances redressed has like not occurred. And so now you're really gathering for Trump's last speech. There's this Hail Mary that can happen in, inside of at the Capitol. Right. And the. Stop the Steal movement, months of work had been put together to get 100 representatives, a handful of senators to object to the electoral count that day. And when the Capitol was breached, that stopped. And it really ended that as a possibility. Now, most of us didn't believe that that was actually going to result in right. anything substantive happening. But you but the idea that like Ali Alexander like wanted the capital breach is totally bizarre because it's like, no, it flushed months yeah, of work down the toilet and yeah. goodwill. Yeah. And that's also why I'm like, hey, I think there was other people who wanted that that shut down. And it was just an opportunity. Like they created a space that I think it was like, look, if we can make sure there's not that many cops, if we can let people have a bit of unruliness, we know that the madness of crowds and a few key people in few key places can generate that narrative that we'll be able to run with this narrative coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'm saying this unironically, like I actually don't believe the election was actually stolen, but I think when you don't allow people to talk about it, you generate the thought that it was. And if I'm yeah. wrong about that and it actually was, then I want to know that it was. So censoring it, whether or not it's true, is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it just like doesn't get you any closer to the truth. So, well, And I did want to make one last comment. I haven't actually shared this um, this publicly yet, but, you know, the biggest the biggest the scariest thing about Jan 6 has been the weaponization of the government towards the the Trump sympathetic right. 
And, you know, I just had an experience. So we, we, we started filming our film called the steel, you know, with, with followed Ali Alexander around January six happens, yada, yada. Now there's these January six hearings and all of this. And so I've talked about before how the Jan six committee reached out to me, like in February, they wanted me to voluntarily surrender footage, you know, to them. Uh, my lawyer said no. Um, and he sent an email to them as to why. And so, I didn't hear anything back from them for months, right? So then two weeks ago, The Guardian releases an article that names me, talks about our film. They make it sound like we have the smoking gun footage between Roger Stone and Ali Alexander. And they publish this. And as when if it that would be filmed. What's that? And like as if that uh, would, be, would be filmed, you know? Like, right, yeah, yeah. And a lot of you. people... <laughs> A lot of people were joking about this on Twitter. They're like, oh, my gosh, the worst criminals ever the documentaries filming your crimes, you know, and it's like, yeah, the smoking gun footage isn't there. But what's interesting is when this article came out, I was like, I noticed that in the article there was language about why we refused to share the footage that was nowhere outside of the communication between my lawyer and the Jan six committee. So I believe that the Jan 6 committee, someone in there leaked that language to The Guardian. The Guardian writes the article, and immediately I was like, this is to try to generate some sort of public support to subpoena us, which they haven't really subpoenaed documentary filmmakers up to this point. Well, then a week later, just a few days ago, I got an email from the DOJ, the FBI CC'd on it, and we're in process now of figuring out... Um, I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, I don't want my door sh kicked in by a SWAT team. Uh, but this is real, guys. Like, I mean, and I'm talking about this publicly the first time. Like, like I'm a guy making a film. Right. And it's to the point right now where I'm, like, having to deal with the, you know, they're trying to they're trying to get a hold of this. And 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 so and I just see that as a weaponization of the of of the federal government towards anyone anywhere that they can use to to push that narrative prosecute the people and ultimately you know i think they just want to prevent trump from running again um i think that's the the goal of the jan 6 committee they may succeed in doing that too like i think people are underestimating whether or not that could actually happen in the next 12 months so which i find hilarious my take on all this stuff like nick fuentes trump january 6th like all the liberals are like, oh, my God, those are the worst things in the world. And my whole take on all three is like, I don't get what the big fucking deal is. Like, you guys have turned this into the biggest fucking fiasco ever when I don't really get what the whole hullabaloo is all about. But uh, Patriot J, you got any final thoughts on anything we talked about? Anything you want to add? I think this was a great conversation. I hope a lot of people listen to it. It's important to have these conversations about censorship um, because it's just it's un-American. And that's what irks me the most. I grew up even when I was on the left as a kid. I love like U.S. history. I have such a deep respect for the founders and the founding documents of this nation. And a lot of people just don't. It seems I think we just need to get back to our roots. We have to. We have to live freely. We have to speak freely. We have to be able to act freely. We have to be able to do these things without fear that the feds are going to come through our door or seize our bank accounts. Yeah, totally agree, man. 100%. All right. Well, it was it was great to meet both of you in Vegas and it was fun doing this stream. I'd love to have you guys both back on at some point. Jason, you'd be a perfect guest for the four horsemen sometime in the future because you're in that if you want to get canceled that's the show to be on yeah right dude i'm i'm open for whatever man i'm i, I love it and uh i love the some of the edgy stuff you guys are doing out there so but yeah it was great meeting you guys both patriot j awesome to connect with you and uh yeah man i look forward to doing this again sometime and uh you know be well guys really appreciate it yeah so i've got um your sub stack and your twitter jason in the description anywhere else you want people to follow you no, that's it. And that Twitter will probably get shut down at some point once they figure out, you know, I ban evasion gets rid of all of my uh, Twitter yeah. accounts. But yeah, it's uh, I've got a podcast that we do every once in a while called Cancel Proof in the Substack, cancelproof.substack.com. We've written a lot about what happened with Freedom Fest, 
And that's where we're going to also announce when the film is released for those who want to see it, see what the what the big deal is. Uh, I think it's been built up so much now that I'm like, it's really not that big a deal, guys. <laughs> yeah, just... Exactly. <laughs> that's how this all works. Uh, Patriot J, I've got your website and I think a link to all your music streaming. Uh, anything else you want to say or anything else you want to mention for people to follow you? Uh, nope. Just follow me on all platform forms at Sir Hottest. <laughs> nice. Well, it was great, guys. Thanks for coming on tonight. I will be doing the Four Horsemen with Jeremy Kaufman at eight o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're watching this live, make sure you catch that live. It's going to be a good show, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining me.